The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Part two of our NFC East opponent preview is brought to you by MyBookie. Summer is the best time of year. We're talking vacation, the beach, lots of sun, and of course, sports. Now, whether you like MLB, MMA, golf, or anything else, my bookie is the place to bet. Their mobile site is easy to use and allows you to make bets from anywhere. No hassle, no waiting line, no need to get off the couch. And just because the NHL and NBA are done doing their thing doesn't mean that there's nothing else to do. We got the Women's World Cup going on right now. Maybe you want to put a bet on the uh, on, on USA women to see if they'll uh, score 1,000 goals before it's done. I mean, they put 13 up on Thailand uh, the other day, so uh, they're probably good for that 1,000. But uh, maybe you want to drop a futures bet on next year's NBA champ or get uh, back your favorite player for Heisman Trophy. Just visit mybookie.ag today to get started. Then try your luck at outsmarting the odds makers. But wait, if you deposit with promo code BEARS100, mybookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BEARS100. At mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Part two of our NFC East opponent preview is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Let's see Geek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let's see Geek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show, and rates them on a scale of zero to ten to let you know if you're getting your best the getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals, a yellow dot good deals, and a red dot not so good deals. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive twenty dollars off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. My guest today is Ian Cummings from the Rigos Rag uh, site for fansided.com and the Rigos Rag, uh, Rag Pocket. It is a tongue twister. Rigos Rag Podcast. And uh, I had an outstanding time uh, talking to uh, Ian. We're actually just going to go right into uh, the interview when I get done with the, the intro here. Uh, because, well, for starters, Ian and, I, Ian and I talked for a very long time. For anyone who peeped how long the episode was before they got started, you know, you should probably be comfortable. I hope you don't have anything to do for a while because Ian and I talked Redskins for quite a bit. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys will enjoy the uh, conversation. And, um, you know, no news and notes or anything like that to, uh, to report uh, for the moment. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. Part two of our NFC East preview about the Washington Redskins with Ian Cummings from Rigo's Rag. Part two of our journey through the NFC East takes us out east to the nation's capital, home of the Washington Redskins, and here to help us preview the 2019 
Washington Redskins from fansided.com's Rigos Rag and Rigos Rag, uh, Rigos Rag, that's a tongue twister, Rigos Rag podcast, Ian Cummings. Ian, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, a lot of G's in there. You'll get yeah, used to it. lots of them in there, yeah. Um, so first question that I like to ask all of my new friends, uh, if you will, um, we first ask, A, where are you from? B, where are you now? Because ever since I started doing these interviews, the person actually being in the market their team represents is the exception, not the rule. Uh, like my, my, uh, my Broncos gal, she lives in South Carolina. My Saints guy lives in Los Angeles, so on and so forth. So, and then the third question being your favorite memory as a fan of the Redskins. Okay, yeah, well, that's an interesting – I am the exception again, okay. so nothing changing there. I'm from Michigan, actually, and I'm actually kind of a half-skins Lions fan. I was originally a Lions uh, fan. You know, you remember uh, Kirk Cousins, oh, Michigan yeah. State. I followed him to Washington because uh, he was my favorite college player. Uh, growing up, I was always a huge fan of him and uh, kind of idolized him a little bit. And then when he became the starter, I was, like, freaking out back in 2015. And – um yeah, I started writing for Rigo's Rag, and then Kirk Cousins left, and it's kind of like, well, what do I do now? Just I'll keep writing, you know? Right. I, at that point, I've been following the team for a little bit, so you kind of you get to know them a little bit. You get to know the storylines and everything, so you kind of ingrained into that culture. So I just kept writing for them. Um, my favorite memory has to be the Code Red game, Tampa Bay, 2015, when the skins were 2-4, and four, and it looked like things were going to fall apart, and then Kirk Cousins came back and... Uh, an epic comeback i think they came back from like 24 nothing and uh won it and uh, of course that sparked his uh emergence and he became kind of the is he a franchise quarterback is he not and now he's one of the highest paid quarterbacks for the vikings so that was my uh favorite memory but it's it's been interesting watching this team over the past few years because their highs are very high uh and their lows are very low so it's yeah. gonna be interesting to see how they do this year you never can know you never can sell yeah, well, let's dig into that because we were talking just briefly here before we got started, and I was looking at 2018, and I was reminded of the fact that the Redskins, at week going into or at the end of week 10, so we got six, seven weeks left in the season, the Redskins were 6-3. and three. They were leading the NFC East or tied for the division lead at the very least, and then it all went sideways with the loss of uh, – of Alex Smith and then it just it, you know you lost 6 of 7 to close out the year and finish a 7 to 9 football team was was that the catalyst to it all going wrong or was there more that just kind of piled on as the year went along I would say it's kind of a little bit of both it was the catalyst uh but uh, I would say the Redskins way of winning wasn't very sustainable either uh they a lot of people like to throw this term around they won ugly all right ball control offense pounding it down the middle suffocating defense and they weren't even perfect on the defensive side of the ball you know they were winning ugly and they were getting lucky at times Dallas missed a field goal could have made them five and four um you know they were just it was not very sustainable kind of the old way to win football you know sure, nowadays sure. you have the analytics wave and you know offenses trying to maximize their potential I know Matt Nagy is a guy who kind of helped do that kind of spark uh some development from Mitch Trubisky last year with the Bears uh, the Skins, however, last year, um, and part of this was due to, you know, uh, some injuries early on. They really needed to, you know, kind of adapt, especially when Darius Geis went down. And, you know, Alex Smith was still adjusting through the entire season, even before he got hurt. Uh, so they kind of, they aired on the efficiency side. Uh, kind of just, you know, 
maxim- minimizing the mistakes. And Alex Smith has always been known for that. And um, it's kind of a point of contention in Washington, you know, how good was Alex Smith really? Uh, but I'll give you this. He was a great leader, uh, organized the team, and uh, really just kept the offense on schedule. Not a lot of mistakes. So that was they, – they weren't very flashy, but they didn't, they didn't really beat themselves too often. And so that was the MO. But then once Alex Smith went down, you had Mark Sanchez going in there and then Josh Johnson, who hadn't started a game since 2011. And, uh, yeah, things went downhill from there, I think is a polite way to say it. But, um, yeah, I would say um, – Things need to change. They're not going to win the way they won in 2018 if they want to have some success in 2019. And I think Jay Gruden knows that. They've been making some changes in that regard. But, uh, yeah, they were a team that won ugly, got lucky in a few respects. But they were respectable uh, up until Smith's injury. Uh, then the defense kind of regressed after that. And, yeah. uh, just every- this is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Everything went downhill. It was really interesting. Well, that's what I noticed when I was looking at the schedule, and, and, and I was reminded that, A, they started out as a 6-3 and three football team, but, but looking at the schedule and just looking at the scores – it seemed to be that in the first nine games when you went six and three, if you held your opponent under 20, you won the game. In your yeah. three losses, you gave up like 24, 43 to the Saints, and then 30 to somebody else uh, in the other loss. And then after week 10, it, w- it didn't happen again until you beat the Jaguars in the only victory you had in the second half. Uh, of the season is pretty much everybody was scoring 20 plus and that would you know like if you just want to put it in the simplest terms if the defense held the opponent under 20 you won the football game because in all six of the games that you won or seven in, in your case that's exactly what happened if they scored more than 20 then they lit up the scoreboard and there was no hearing back from the from the Redskins so I mean that would seem like what you said with the defense regressing that statement holds if you just look at the scores themselves. They, they held them under 20. You won. If they scored more than 20, it was a loss almost automatically. Yeah, yeah. And part of that was, you know, the offense couldn't keep up. Right. You know, uh, it was it, it, in today's league, you got to be able to score at any time. You know, there's no exceptions. You got to be able to be flexible and kind of, you know, move the ball in any way possible. And the Redskins, 
their passing game was it, it, it had a very low ceiling last year and uh, when they were relegated to the run game they were kind of predictable teams could really uh, zone in and kind of uh, suffocate their own offensive line and that just created a world of problems and uh, you know the offense really sputtered down the stretch that Jaguars game you could say that they were playing another team that played ugly yeah. Uh, in Jacksonville and so that was kind of a you know someone that was kind of a someone had to win uh situation yeah not not if someone deserved to win so yeah it was it was interesting and uh Greg Minuski you know some people have been calling him out the defensive coordinator uh for how he used his players uh you know there were certain situations where it felt like he he wasn't showing the requisite situational awareness uh, whether it's, you know, lining defensive backs up in soft coverage, you know, on third and two, it's like, well, you know, all they have to do is just fire a quick, a quick, uh, quick curl route and boom, they're across the line. So, or I'm um, putting defensive ends in coverage and you know, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, he's one of the sack leaders of the past few years. You know, he's been, he's been getting up there. He's almost to the century mark, but, uh, they've, he put him in coverage a few times and that's just, you're creating a mismatch for the offense. So, you know, it was a combination of, you know, personnel kind of regressing, uh, and defensive play calling and just a lot of different factors that went into it. But uh, one thing is for sure, it is a tale of two halves when you look at the Redskins 2018 season and sure. 2019, they're trying to remedy that. Yeah, five and three to start, two and six to to finish. And if you split it straight down the middle and, and eight and eight. And how much did injuries play into that? I mean, I know the Alex Smith injury was huge, but I know that you lost Darius Geist even before the season started. Uh, and everything like that, and, and then you lost one quarterback after another when, you know, like after Alex Smith went down, you lost Cole McCoy, and then you had to go to Sanchez and Josh Johnson to where you just were literally pulling guys off the street to play quarterback just to finish out the year. Oh, yeah. The injuries played a massive part, especially on offense. You know, with Alex Smith, the offense was at least competent at times. Like, they did what they needed to do to put the defense in a situation to win the game. You know, the defense was still shouldering most of the load, but at least with Alex Smith and with that offensive line, Adrian Peterson was producing well. You know, they were they were at their best. Their style of football was winning. They could beat the bad teams with it and at least, you know, compete with some good teams. Uh, but then uh, midway through the season, you had Brandon Sheriff go down, uh, Pro Bowl guard with a torn pectoral. You had Trent Williams battling injuries. Um, I think he played through most of them, but, you know, he wasn't really ever at 100 percent. And then, of course, Sean Laval, he wasn't particularly effective at left guard, but just to lose him and you've got no depth there, that wasn't fun. And then, yeah, when you have Mark Sanchez suiting up and to Josh Johnson's credit, he actually had some pretty he had some bright moments. Uh, You know, whenever you have a fourth string quarterback, it's never going to be pretty. But Johnson, he did perform admirably in some respects, but you know, when, when Smith's not in there, when he, he's a guy that's been there, done that, a guy that commanded respect and a guy that the offense really, you know, uh, it just, it, it all came together around him. It, it's almost indescribable, but he was the guy who really kept things on schedule and uh, the uniformity of it, you know, you could tell it wasn't always pretty, but they got the job done. And that just wasn't the case when everything fell apart. And the offensive line played a big part into that because when, when the offensive line uh, got injured Adrian Peterson suddenly his running style isn't as effective and uh, yeah the injuries played a huge part but uh, let's not act like there were other factors too and I know a lot of skins fans are coming out and saying you know oh we had the most players on IR out of any team over the past two years that's true 
but that doesn't mean you can't look at places where you could improve outside of that. And I think the skins still have a lot of work to do. So it's not like they can fall back and say, oh, we were the most injured, which means, you know, as long as we stay healthy, we're good to go. That's not the case. But it did play a, it did play a part for sure. Well, I mean, there is some absolute truth to the healthier you are, the better your season will most likely turn out. I mean, and I can attest to that 100 percent because in 2017 and 2016, we would give the Redskins a run for their money as far as guys that finished the year on IR. And then last year we got a new training staff, a new uh, conditioning coach, the whole nine yards when Matt Nagy and company came in and we had one of the healthiest teams in football and you know, obviously we made some huge upgrades. We got Khalil Mack. We added like three or four receivers to give more weapons to the offense and such like. So it was kind of a perfect storm. But the fact that all of those new bodies were healthy for 99% of the season last year played a huge part in the difference between 2017 and 2018. So there is some truth to it, but you're right. Just being healthy doesn't mean you're automatically going to win uh, football games, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I would have I would have pegged them as a wild card team maybe. I think sure, Dallas. Yeah. You know, after Dallas got Amari Cooper, that offense, you know, even when they weren't making the right play calls all the time, you know, that offense was still humming just cuz you got so much talent there. I think they would have and Cowboys defense is borderline elite. I mean, you got guys like Van Der Esch and Smith and, you know, Byron Jones, uh, ascending elite athletes who are just really really playing out of their mind and I think I think the Cowboys would have still leapt over the Redskins but the Skins could have certainly mounted a wild card berth now what does that get you I mean nothing you don't get a participation trophy but you know <laughs> they would have gotten a little more respect because I know a lot of people there was a prediction earlier today where they have the Skins going 2 and 14 and it's like you know I'm not too high on them but uh, that's I don't see them as a bottom feeder but if if they'd made that playoff berth maybe they'd get a little more respect now but it, it doesn't mean anything and uh at the end of the day, um, yeah, they could have been a little bit better without the injuries, but sure, what sure. can you do? So we go into the off season, and the quarterback position is something that's paramount to be addressed because who knows how long Alex Smith is going to be out. Is there a timetable for him, uh, or it's just like 2019 is an afterthought, we're looking 2020 at best? They still don't know if he's ever going to play again. Wow. Uh, so what happened, he's still got this thing called an external fixator in his leg. Uh, he, he had to do reconstruction surgery because after the initial surgery, there were complications with yeah. uh, infections and stuff. Yeah. And so that, that was not pretty. And they had to dig in there a few more times. And uh, it, it really messed up his leg. And so they had to put an external fixator in it, which is I don't want to go into the de- details, but it's uh, it's complicated stuff. And he's, he's still healing. And uh, I think... Last last report I saw, I think it's like two months uh, until he's got that thing off, and then then he can start maybe trying to walk again. But uh, it's it's going to be a long road for sure. Yeah, you have to have the patience of a monk to go through something. Oh like yeah, that. I would go insane if something like that ever happened to me. That you know, the I mean, obviously suffering the injury was horrific enough, but it's almost like the healing process after something like that is 10 times worse oh yeah because you have all this time to get in your own head and stuff and just get down about it and from what i've seen smith is in good spirits he's he's staying with the team from a in a mental standpoint which is good because you know he's a very respected leader you know everyone's got a ton of respect for the guy but you just hate to see him go through that it's it's tough so uh one of the things that was done by the redskins during the free agency period he made a trade for Case Keenum, it did not work out for him uh, in Denver. So the Broncos acquired uh, Joe Flacco and sent Case Keenum on his way over to uh, Denver. Um, 
you added Landon Collins, one of the bigger free agents, bigger uh, free agent signings, uh, in in like being like marquee as far as the the safeties in the on the market and in contract as well. Good old Dan Snyder breaking out the checkbook yes, uh, again. Uh, you added Eric Flowers, who was with the Giants last year and finished with Jacksonville. Resigned Adrian Peterson and added Dominique Rogers uh, Cromartie to the defensive. Uh, backfield. So let's start where the obviously where we ha- obviously have to go here. And and thoughts on on Case Keenum coming into Washington. Yeah. Um. Even when they got Case Keenum, I kind of knew they were going to draft a quarterback because you look at Keenum. Uh. You know when he was in the perfect situation in Minnesota with uh. You know that was that was the year their offensive line wasn't completely terrible. It was still bad, but it wasn't like Kirk Cousins bad. Sure. And sure. They, he had a lot of weapons, a great defense. He took him to the playoffs, won a game, and very respectable quarterback but um denver kind of regress and i don't think in washington where the supporting cast is as solid i don't he's a guy who can't elevate that cast and uh, i worded it this way in an article right after keenum was traded for you know if you want the redskins to tank and get a high pick next year he's not the guy to do that if you want the redskins to win and go to a playoff game he's not the guy to do that either he's He's kind of a middle-of-the-road guy, and so ultimately a good spot starter, you know, a very reliable backup. You know, if you need him to come in on a moment's notice, you know, he can do it. He's got experience, uh, but the arm talent, not always there. Accuracy, not always there. Just kind of a a medium, a middle-of-the-road quarterback. So, And the value that they got him for kind of reflected that. It was a a late-round pick swap, I think. So, um. Yeah, and and also they kind of split the salary a little bit, so he's not as costly for the team. But uh, yeah, that, to me that was always a backup move, and they're they're hyping it up as a quarterback competition. But I think uh, I think the rookies got it uh, mm-hmm. in the long run. We'll see though. It, at the end of the day, it was insurance, and it also gave the Redskins some leverage. Um, you know, uh, for potential draft trades. You know, teams offering the Redskins like, hey, you got to trade up. You need a quarterback. They say. No, we don't. We got Case Keenum. So, right. you know, you're going to have to up your offer. So it, that also played a part. But uh, at the end of the day, insurance, I think some people made it more than it was. You know, I, I don't see him. If he is the starter, ultimately, he won't be the starter for long because when you invest a first rounder in a quarterback, you have to invest the time in that quarterback and give him the time to develop. And I'm sure you guys know that um, sure. firsthand with Trubisky. So uh, I, I don't see him kind of like he's kind of like a Mike Glennon uh, to the yeah. rest as you know glennon was to the bears he's if he's gonna start he's not gonna start for long right yeah mike glennon that poor son of a bitch man he he (laughs) was doomed from the start man he really really was i mean he came in to an impossible situation that was made even more impossible after we signed him so Mm -hmm. i was like we did almost nothing in the offseason that year in 2017 to improve the offense or the targets around him uh, or anything like that. It was pretty much going to be the Jordan Howard show. This was even before we drafted Tariq Cohen. We yeah. did pick him in 2017. We didn't know he was going to work out the way he did. He was a fourth-round pick. Yeah. and But he came, comes into that, and he's at the draft party in Soldier Field being held by the Bears. And not only did the Bears – oh, my God. Not only did they draft the quarterback, they traded up to get the quarterback. So they're you know, just basically just pants Mike Glennon in front of the entire – uh, you know, fan base right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we signed a quarterback. We paid him top dollar, sixteen million dollars a season, and we go and draft a quarterback number two overall. Gave up four draft picks to do it. I mean, it just and it just felt like you know, Glennon was snake bit in Chicago from the jump. Like even in his first preseason game, his first official throw as a Bear was a pick six. 
against the Broncos in, in the preseason. Um, yeah. I he, remember that. He, I felt so bad for him. Yeah, he never got it going in those first four games, and that fourth game was on, on Thursday night against Green Bay on national TV, and where the, the team was in open revolt after that. It's like, <laughs> put Trubisky in. He's obviously the best quarterback on the team. I was dead set against it, not because I just I didn't want to be feeding Trubisky to the Lions. I didn't want to ruin the kid. I didn't mm-hmm. want to, you know, have him develop bad habits because he's running for his life or he can't can't do anything because he's still learning and and all the rest of that stuff. But Glennon was supposed to be the stopgap guy that was, you know, protect Trubisky that first year and then year two is him, kind of like Tr- Patrick Mahomes. But yeah, Glennon was so bad that that we just had to <laughs> hit fast forward on, on it all. He just never really had a shot. Uh, in Chicago, was the, money, was the money guaranteed at least? He the 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 genius part about the contract it was three years, forty five million, and only eighteen of it was guaranteed. He was making oh. sixteen the first year, so it was like a two to two point five million dollar cap hit to cut him after year one. So okay. Pace knew what he was doing when he signed Glennon. Yeah. So it ended up not being that big a deal. And as far as like what quarterbacks are making now, sixteen million dollars for a starting quarterback is a bargain nowadays. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, you know, it, it just, uh, I, I, I don't have any ill will towards Glennon or I feel, I pity him more than anything about his time in Chicago. Uh, so yeah, let's not talk about him anymore. That just depresses <laughs> me. So, um, but the other free agent signings, you got Landon Collins, uh, to add him to the back end uh, of the defense, you re-sign Adrian Peterson. Uh, what about the rest of your free agent crop is, uh, something that you're looking forward to? Yeah, well, uh, Collins is obviously the guy who draws the most attention. I think he he was made the highest paid safety in the league by the Redskins, and you know he 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 had an All Pro berth a couple of years ago. He's kind of he kind of fell off a little bit last year, but still a very good starter. Uh, a guy who you know uh, fills a position of need for the Redskins. You looked at their safety situation last year; it was not all too good. Um, I know Monte Nicholson. He was a young up and comer. Considered that after a good rookie season, he had a rough. 2018 campaign he's trying to bounce back in 2019 we'll see if it happens and then haha clinton Dix. i know you guys have him now so i hope he works out for you but um he was not great for us down the stretch and uh part of that is due to just miscommunication across the entire defense but George. uh you know bad tackling angles was a common theme and uh you know maybe he'll bounce back but the skins definitely they wanted a change of direction and they got it with collins and you know there's some questions surrounding collins can he uh, get back to that level he was at, at two years ago or three years ago or whatever it was. But um, yeah, a very good box safety, a guy who can really, you know, make his presence felt and you know, with judicious thunder. And, uh, you know, you love a guy who can make plays on the ball and, you know, make an impression on the offense. And he's pretty good in coverage, too. Not as good in coverage, but he, he's a multifaceted guy who can kind of fill all their needs. And I think playing behind that front seven, he can really make his money. So I'm excited for that one. A, a young player, too. I think he's only 24, 25 years old still. I think 25. So, you know, a lot of time to still grow. And uh, working with a experienced defensive backs coach like Ray Horton, you know, could pay dividends. Uh, I think staying with the secondary theme, Dominique rogers Cromarty. Uh, that's a guy who played with Collins in, with the Giants uh, a right. couple years ago. So there's some chemistry there. I don't I don't think Rodgers Cromartie is a lock to make the team. And if we talk about more secondary guys later, I can go into more depth with that. But uh, he's a guy who retired uh, midway through the season with the Raiders, I think, and then came back this offseason with the Redskins. So uh, obviously a few questions there. He's got great speed. He's always had great speed, great, a good combination of that. And I think you know, if they keep him, he'll be a versatile chess piece, but uh, nothing more than a kind of a guy who 
only gets a few snaps a game. Uh, and then, of course, Eric Flowers. That one kind of baffled me mm-hmm. uh, because I think they gave him $4 million. So they're wiping out a fifth-round comp pick for that. And uh, reports out of training camp have not been promising. Uh, they've said that Flowers looked like the worst player on the team. One guy literally said that, like word for word. He's the worst on the team. And that's uh, that's rough. But uh, I think they were trying to move him to offensive guard, trying to see if he could start there because left guard has been an area of concern for the Redskins over the past few years. So we'll see if it works out. Uh, I'm not optimistic. But, uh, yeah, and then last but, not, last but not least, Adrian Peterson. Uh, resigning him is pretty good. Uh, I don't think he'll get nearly as many carries this year uh, with Darius Geis coming back. I was very high on Darius Geis uh, in my pre-draft evaluation last year. Just insane contact balance, runs with anger, you know, and uh, very fast and agile too. So kind of a complete back. Uh, Adrian Peterson, you know, he's good, but you could see uh, the old man vibes were starting to kind of resonate last year uh, as down the stretch he was he was wearing a tear and so um i think he'll be a good veteran presence for guys and help kind of mentor him as he gets on the field and gets those reps but uh, i see peterson as solid depth and nothing more but a pretty good free agency class maybe they could have done more they didn't have a ton of money to work with but uh, they solidified some parts of their team uh some risks i didn't think need to, needed to be taken like with flowers um especially after they drafted two interior linemen in the draft. But uh, Flowers does have some flexibility uh, with tackle and guard. Maybe Bill Callahan can make something out of him. I don't know. He, he's, he doesn't have a great athletic profile, but um, they know more than I do. They're getting paid the big, big bucks, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe the move to guard will help him, taking him off the island that is being the uh, being the tackle, whether it be the yep. right side or the left side. That's a one-on-one deal almost every single time. So you know, putting you on the inside – You've got a guy on either side of you. That, you know, there, there's a lot less room for a lot more room for error, I should say. Uh, yeah, in that yeah, spot, yeah. even in the NFL. So maybe the move to guard will will help him rediscover his uh, talent, if you will. So yeah, maybe we'll see. I think he's never been an overly physical guy at the point of the attack, so that's that's concerning as an interior blocker. But maybe maybe he could work better in there. You know, um, I'm hoping he can, and especially playing between guys like Trent Williams if he comes back. Uh, right. contract issues there but and then chase Rouye, who's one of the more underrated centers in the league he's been pretty solid for the team uh playing between those guys could bode well for him and then callahan's a good offensive line coach so if if anyone can glean the best out of him it's callahan and maybe a few others across the league like mike munchak and uh uh obviously the patriots guy who i'm blank blanking on his name but uh dante scarnecchia or something like that but yeah that's it yeah, yeah. Cal- Callahan is one of the more revered offensive line coaches, and he's he's made good uh, from some players like Rouillet and uh, Sheriff and things. So if anyone can get the most out of Flowers, it's them. They took the risk, so they're confident in their abilities, but uh, I'll believe it when I see it, basically. So how about the guys that aren't with the team anymore? You lost, uh, you, you, you released Zach Brown, who ended up signing with the Eagles, Preston Smith signed the the Packers, so we'll see if that'll affect us in Chicago yeah. uh, at all. Jamison Crowder goes north to the Jets, and obviously we got Clinton Dix, and hopefully that being reunited with his former uh, uh, backfield mate and Eddie Jackson, hopefully that will have a positive effect. He sounds over the moon to be in Chicago, so maybe that just that alone, that he chose to come to Chicago as opposed to being traded to yeah. the Redskins kind of thing, maybe that can feed into... Uh, some improvement for him this year. And then finally, Michael Floyd, wide receiver, uh, went off to uh, Baltimore. So 
I would I would wager that Brown and Smith would probably be the guys that are hurt the most that that left the team. Yeah, I think Brown and the Redskins were headed for a breakup. Um, you know, I think Brown midseason actually said the writing is on the wall pertaining to his future there. And this mm-hmm. was after an offseason in which he was just so happy to be here. You know, I think he still had two more years left on his deal. So he was he was he was happy. And then when the season kind of tanked and morale dipped, uh, Brown made some comments and uh, that was that. And I think his his play, you know, that's a polarizing uh, factor. I think Brown, very talented guy, occasionally get, got lost in coverage, and that that reflected poorly because that's where a lot of the defensive just uh, defensive, what's the word, implosions happened sure. uh, when when linebackers got lost in coverage and everything, and that was a mismatch that offenses exploited frequently. Uh, but Brown's a talented guy. Um, I think they'd they would miss his talents. Uh, they were obviously hoping to have Reuben Foster replace him. And then obviously he tore his ACL. So that's unfortunate, but some, it, it was a breakup that was destined to happen. Um, and so we'll see what he does with the Eagles. Um, I think he'll, I think they'll know how to use him the right way. Uh, sometimes that was unclear with the Redskins. So, uh, whatever happens there, Preston Smith, uh, that's a guy who is sometimes underappreciated. Uh, he only had 4.5 sacks last year, but, um, he had a 10.5 pass rush productivity rating uh, from Pro Football Focus, so he was getting pressure uh, fairly consistently. Uh, and he's he's just one of those all around solid guys. He's not flashy. He's still got some athletic potential that he could tap into, um, but he's just a a solid edge defender against the run, and he can generate pressure in the passing game. And there were some sacks that were stolen from him. Uh, you know, the, with the Redskins, obviously their defensive front. When you got guys like Jonathan Allen. Ryan Kerrigan, Matt Ioannidis, Deron Payne. There's not enough sacks to go around. You know, you mm-hmm. might impact the quarterback. You might make him step into a lane where a, another lineman can get him. Uh, you're not going to get credit for the sack, but you're going to you, you impacted the play and you you changed those spatial relationships. Preston Smith was a guy who did that very effectively, and I, I think with the uh, with the Packers, he could he could kind of shine and kind of have um, more success statistically than he's had in the past. But uh, you know, not a flashy guy. But a, a very a very solid player, um, Clinton Dix. Yeah, I think he was another guy who was kind of wanting a change of scenery, similar to Brown. Um, sure. When the when the entire defense was imploding, you know, you can't blame any one player entirely for their mistakes and everything. And Clinton Dix, you know, watching him, he did appear to have some stiffness in his hips. He's never been known to be the best athlete, but uh, at his peak with the Packers, he. He was able. He was very good at making plays on the ball. You know, emulates Sean Taylor with his game. That was one thing that Redskins fans fawned over when he came to DC. Is that you know he's this guy who idolizes Sean Taylor. You know, so you know, in the back of your mind, you want to hope that he plays something like that. Um, it wasn't entirely like that, uh, to put it lightly. But um, yeah, I think he's still got some potential to be a pretty good starter. You know, I, I like Adrian Amos better, me personally, but sure. um, I think. He could be good, especially if the Bears' front seven, you know, maintains that furor that they had last year. Um, yeah. He could be good for them. And um, uh, who's the last one? Michael Floyd. I don't mm-hmm. think missing him anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that was what. That's why I was thinking. That was kind of an afterthought. I didn't even know if I should uh, mention him. Now, before we move on to the draft, you you alluded to two other things I want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, real quick, even though they pretty much took place after. Uh, the draft. We'll talk about it before we get to that. And you talked about the Trent Williams contract thing, and then obviously the 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 injury with Reuben Foster is just 
it's like Teddy Bridgewater all over again from what I hear. It's like another one of those non-contact injuries. He just made a false step and everything just came apart. Yeah, it was it was crushing because, you know, this was a guy who, you know, they signed him off of waivers midseason, got a ton of flack for it. I was one of the most critical ones because uh, when the investigation was still up in the air, I didn't want to have anything to do with it just yet. You know, I wanted to let it play out. And they signed him, obviously, before he was cleared. Now, obviously, he did become cleared, and uh, he was coming back to play with his teammates from Alabama, and he looked like he was enjoying himself, and he was really excited to get out there. And then uh, on the first play of OTAs, he, uh, you know, non-contact, just took a wrong step, and bang, your 2019 season's over uh, before yeah. it started. So it's tough, and he's a guy with a lot of potential. Uh, so it, it was definitely tough. I think they got some guys at ILB who were kind of, uh, underrated uh, one guy in particular his Alabama former Alabama teammate sixth round pick last year Sean Dion Hamilton pretty high on him and uh, his athletic ability but uh, someone's gonna have to step in there and uh, Foster was uh, expected to be part of this vaunted front seven with uh, a lot of talented players and now that takes a nick out of the defense which was already expected to be the team's crown jewel you know you're not they made some improvements on the offensive side of the ball, and there's some personnel changes in the offensive staff that could bode well for them. But you can't expect them. You can't expect that to be their crutch. You know, the defense still has all that talent. That's going to be the thing winning the Skins games, and uh, losing Foster that early is definitely a. It's it's a tough blow, it's a, and it's a tough pill to swallow. So, what's the word on on Foster? Because I was hearing all kinds of of things like from the moment it happened. It's just an ACL. Oh, no, it's an ACL and an MCL, or it's an MCL, ACL, and nerve damage. It, this could be a career ender. Where did we finally land on it after they had a chance to step back from it, have the doctors examine what was going on in there? What, where is Ruben Foster at, and what's his timetable? Is he, is he good for 2020, or are we, are, is he in the same boat with Alex Smith about a, like, we don't know? It, it, he should be good for 2020. I think it was okay. an ACL and MCL. He had successful surgery. Um, that's already out of the way. So now he's just rehabbing. And uh, it's, a, it's a long process, a long, arduous process. But uh, he should be back. And I think with some Alabama teammates to kind of be that support system for him, he should be in good spirits uh, for most of it. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, he should be good, though. He won't come back midseason. He won't be like Hunter Henry and almost come back in the playoffs they know that's that's not going to happen but for 2020 i think he should be good and he'll still be young still have some time to capitalize on his prime so hopefully we'll see well that's good to hear especially for him uh guy's been through a lot yeah. in his first year plus in the in the in the league you know and he's looking like the the 49ers made a huge mistake and they they acknowledge that by releasing him the the Redskins made what some people, like you said, made an even bigger mistake by giving him a job before he was cleared. And looks like everything was behind him. He's ready for this fresh start. And then, boom, first step he takes, it's over already. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that had to be quite a devastating moment uh, for him. And then before we finally get over to the draft, the, the Trent Williams thing, what exactly is going on here? Because I've also heard conflicting reports about what his – demands are like he wants a new contract no he wants to be traded he doesn't want to be in Washington anymore what's what is the actual story <laughs> it's funny that you ask because no one really knows quite yet oh it's, wow it's it's interesting man first off it was the contract thing you know that came out that he was holding out for new contract that's the standard usually that's what you see players hold out for and he's got two years left on his deal so 
maybe he wanted to be paid like some of the top tackles in the league. The market has been reset numerous times since Williams signed his uh, 13.5 a year deal. I think uh, Trent Brown reset it at 16 and a half this mm-hmm. offseason. So Williams, you know, he's still one of the top tackles in the league, wants to get paid that much. Then a report came out from Jason Lockhamfora. That's um, which you got to take every report with a grain of salt, you know, when it comes from guys like that. But uh, preaching to the choir on that one, brother. That guy, <laughs> that guy has got a hard on for the Bears, and everything he says about the Bears is negative. There's never a positive word that comes out of his mouth, which makes us as Bear fans great because his batting average is close to zero for like the last several years. So whatever he says, the Bears won't do. The Bears end up doing so. Uh, <laughs> but you know, any report coming from Lock and Four has to be taken with a grain of salt because he is. He's been wrong a lot more than he's been right lately. Yeah, and wherever you go, that's basically the uh, consensus for sure. But with the Redskins particularly, they're pretty unpredictable when it comes to news, so you can never take anything out of the equation when it comes to them, you know, Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen and so. So uh, Trent Williams, uh, Lock Hanfora said that Trent Williams was demanding a trade and that he was fed up with the medical staff and they'd misdiagnosed some things and how they'd handled his – medical issue he had like a what might have been a tumor on his forehead this offseason that got removed safely no no um adverse effects from that and he should be good to go um if if he wants to play for washington but that that was a report that said you know the differences were irreconcilable and that he was gonna be traded or he was gonna sit out he wasn't gonna suit up in burgundy and gold anymore um i've heard I've seen John Kime, a Redskins ESPN beat reporter, comment on questions saying that uh, no one really, you know, it's still being settled, the whole situation. Um, I, the Redskins obviously know Trent Williams' worth. They've seen him firsthand get seven Pro Bowls over the span of his career. Uh, he's at his best when he's fully healthy. He's a dominant left tackle, a guy with that athleticism and that strength who can really just seal off the edge and be that guy. So, and especially with Dwayne Haskins, a rookie quarterback, you don't want to stunt his development. You want to get him in there and you need that left tackle. You need that blind side protector. So they know his value, especially, you know, both from a player, uh, player profile standpoint and from a circumstantial standpoint. So they have a lot of decisions to make. Um, I, I would say that Lock Camfora's report, um, at least is not a hundred percent accurate. I think for the right amount of money, Trent Williams will come back and, uh, you know, I, I think it'll get settled, but, uh, we don't have a lot of concrete information to go off of at, at this point. It's really still up in the air. Yeah. So therein lies the, 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 the leverage that uh, Trent Williams has. You just mentioned it. Um, he's one of the elite left tackles in this league and you've got a rookie quarterback that you want to take care of. So, you definitely want to keep your left tackle happy and in-house, but, uh, you know, so maybe that's what it is. He acknowledges the leverage. He wants a pay raise, so he's taking advantage of it uh, now. So I guess we'll yep. have to wait and see if uh, Lock and Four is anywhere close to right on that, and I, I doubt that he is just because it's Jason Lock and Four. But, <laughs> um, so let's move on to, to draft night, and the Redskins were a team that were getting talked about a lot on draft night because leading up to the draft there were rumors that uh, Daniel Schneider and company were going to pull off another RG3 trade to move up to two to guarantee that they get Dwayne Haskins. And that sounded just like the kind of risk that Daniel Schneider doesn't even think twice about uh, in, in making those kind of moves. That, Like I mentioned before, he's a guy that's not shy about uh, giving out the big contracts. For a guy like him, apparently it, it's just money because he has no problem 
uh, passing it out, which is why I'd like to be a friend of his so he can give me some. But, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you're looking at the draft and – uh, the picks start coming. The Redskins don't move in a very un-Redskins-like thing. They sit and they wait, and the guy that they wanted all along lands in their lap at 15 with Haskins after the Giants passed him up, after the the, the Broncos passed him up. They traded out of their spot and, and everything like that. He lands to Washington at 15. So you you, you don't do anything. And, and you get what you want, which is kind of like uh, something that would happen to your to your D.C. metro area mate with the Ravens. The Ravens were always a sit-and-wait team and always got the player that would just fall into their laps. Mm-hmm. And here it happens to the Redskins with Haskins. All the talk about trading away the, the store to get Haskins by number two or anything like that, you do nothing and you get him anyway. It's crazy, man. I was fully expecting that kind of move. Uh, I had a mock draft that I released uh, like 30 minutes before the draft, and I had the Skins trading up to number three uh, to get Haskins. And uh, it was crazy. And I saw the picks just kept coming in. And uh, after um, after the Giants picked Jones <laughs> and after the Broncos, yeah, the, the Skins fans had a field day with that one, by the way. It was it was it was fun. But um, and then after the Broncos traded down and the Steelers picked Bush at ten, and uh, you know, all of a sudden there's not a lot of QB needy teams, and you think, well, maybe the Dolphins will pick them. No, they get Christian Wilkins, and you're like, well, now we've just got the Falcons between us and Dwayne Haskins, and the Falcons obviously aren't picking them, so you got your guy. And that was just to me that was a masterstroke of patience. You know, I don't know what happened in that front office. I've seen reports that maybe Snyder is changing. I'll, again, I'll believe it when I see it there because he has a long track record of, you know, those impulsive decisions and, you know, trying to be the hero. But, um, yeah, this was, a, this was a step in the right direction. And I wasn't super high on Dwayne Haskins in the evaluation process. He was my QB3 um, in this draft class. I was high. I had Kyler as my QB1, and I was a bit higher on Drew Locke. You know, maybe looking back, I would have flip-flopped Locke and Haskins. But um, really, getting a guy at the end of the day, you got a guy with franchise potential uh, with Haskins, a guy who's a pretty pro-ready quarterback, um, very solid mentally, you know, very quick learner. Um, and you you see some film rooms with him where he's breaking down plays, and he he has a very innate understanding of you know the inner workings of every play and how it manipulates the defense and. That was something that really struck me in evaluation of Haskins. And, you know, he's got good arm talent, maybe not great, but, you know, he can make most of the throws. Uh, very, pretty accurate. Uh, just a guy just a guy who can give you uh, a winning team on a rookie contract. And, you know, if, he's, if he gets good enough in those four years, you can re-sign him. And it's just a high upside move, and they didn't really give up a lot. You know, people were expecting him to trade up and give up the farm and, getting those RG3 nightmares and none of it happened. And that was a very refreshing change, you know, over here watching this team because you don't you don't get that often. Yeah, it was very interesting watching it all unfold the way that it did and, and knowing the, the Redskins and their reputation uh, for making these big, bold moves and, and, and things like that. You mentioned Daniel Snyder and how he may be maturing uh, in his old age and or as, as he progresses in age, I should say. I don't exactly know how old he is, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it's just you know maybe it is a, a signing that a sign that things are changing, or at least that Snyder is letting the front office do their jobs, uh, kind of thing. And then and, and instead of coming in and making an executive decision and say go get this guy, he's the guy I want, because there's no secret that Shanahan didn't want 
uh, RG3, or at least he didn't want to give up the farm to get RG3. He always liked Kirk's cousins. That's why he took him in the fourth round and, you know, and so on and so forth. And that turned out to be the right move as opposed to giving up three first rounders for a one year wonder uh, in RG3, even though injuries caused years two and beyond to not be as successful. What happened happened, and the Redskins had a hard, a hard time uh, recovering uh, from it. So, you know, to have Haskins just fall to you like that, watching it unfold the way it has, because that was a common thread throughout the first round as the uh, as the you know as we drew closer and closer to fifteen, where the Redskins were were picking, you know, uh, Jones coming off the board, which was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, my Giants guy that I talked to uh, the other day, he's drinking the Kool Aid as far as like, well, he likes Daniel Jones, maybe not at number six, but he liked daniel jones so doesn't like jones at six but he likes jones he thinks there could be some things there so i'll be i'll be diplomatic i did not have jones high on my qb rankings okay i I won't disclose it but uh he was not in my top five yeah neither he wasn't very high on on my draft experts board either i i I have scott wright from draftcountdown.com he's my draft guy and he didn't have uh, Jones like in the top 40 or something yeah, like it, think, was, it was not a good grade I think people really inflated the whole Cutcliffe factor you know um, mm-hmm. the Manning connections I'm the, I don't I don't see what else could do it because like looking at his <laughs> tape you know he's he's a tough guy you got to give that to him but I didn't see any uh, traits that stood out that would want me to p- use a top 10 pick on him uh, to, sure. to summate it all in simple terms you know and that, that was a that was a baffling pick for me and I, I thought that I thought the Giants would have been much better off taking Haskins or even Locke, you know, at least with Locke, you know, his footwork is a nightmare, but at least you can see the arm talent and the traits worth developing maybe Uh, with, with Jones. I don't even really see that. So I don't know. Maybe Locke would have been a better guy had they held on to OBJ. Maybe. Because arm strength, just throw it up there, let let uh, Beckham go out and do something insane to catch it with one finger or something uh, (laughs) like that. But uh yeah, so it's all about how it all comes together. But watching it unfold and everyone talking about Haskins still being on the board and him finally, uh, not only did he fall, but he fell to the team that wanted him all along and did nothing but wait for him to to get there. So it was mm-hmm. crazy to watch it all f- unfold the way that it uh, did. And then at the bottom half of the uh, first round, the Redskins trade back in uh, to the first round in, in kind of what I would consider a like, holy crap, this guy's still on the board kind of move. And taking Montez Sweat off uh, uh, the outside linebacker from Mississippi State, who did have some health concerns, but obviously the Redskins weren't one of those teams. Oh yeah, yeah, that was um, capitalizing on some hesitancy uh, around the league, and they've been they've been once to do that in the uh, in the past in 2017 when Jonathan Allen dropped because of uh, lingering concerns around arthritis in his shoulders. You know, the Redskins picked him up, and he's been a borderline pro bowler uh, on their interior line so they've they've been the beneficiaries uh on on the opposite end of that numerous occasions and this is just the latest one montez sweat uh he was my edge three but this is a very strong edge class so um i i no concerns there you know and the uh he he said himself i think that the heart issue that he had has been cleared you know it's it's a minor issue so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be expected to affect his play and uh you know you look at his measurables everyone talks about the uh, four four one forty that he ran at six foot six two sixty. Yeah. Now that I want I want to 
say right now that's insane but um that's not what we should be freaking out about because straight line speed like that that's not what edge rushers use to win you know they use they use bend they use length they use strength at the point of attack i'll I'll give i'll give him this he doesn't have the bend Uh, i like brian burns in that regard but um sweat has almost everything else he's got the strength uh he's got the power to just be a force on that line he's got the length his arms are crazy long, so he can keep his he can keep his hands clean and uh, keep the offensive linemen from getting their anchors on him, and just you know use that leverage to get around the edge. And of course, he's got the speed to accelerate towards the quarterback and everything, and the burst. You know, most most of the traits are there, and uh, he's very athletic, a ton of potential there. Uh, and and to get him at the end of the first round, that's a clear need because they were not going to go into the season with Ryan Anderson as their starter and sleep well at night. I can tell you that. So getting sweat, getting a guy with that potential, especially with Ryan Kerrigan still in his prime. I mean, he can learn from Kerrigan. It's really a great situation. And uh, I'll give him props for that. They gave up their second rounder this year and next year. But, you know, depending on, you know, gauging his upside right now, it looks like it was worth it. Obviously, we, we won't see how he progresses in the nfl but he certainly has the traits to be very very good all right and then we move into the into day two uh terry mclaren uh out of ohio state so a, a you know a guy that caught passes from haskins yeah uh joins the team and then bryce love the uh runner-up to the heisman in 2017 did not have the best 2018 probably should have come out as far as when his draft stock would have been at its highest, mm-hmm. uh, gets taken by the Skins in the fourth round. So you add him to the backfield with Geis and Adrian Peterson. That's looking pretty good. And then those two interior linemen you talked about in the fourth and fifth round, Wes Martin, a guard out of Indiana, Ross Piercebacher. Did I yep. get that right? Yeah, wow. you got it. Bam, I'm good with names. <laughs> Center out of uh, Alabama uh, in the fifth round. Then uh, Cole Holcomb, inside linebacker out of North Carolina. In uh, second, fifth round pick, and then in the th- in day three, or uh, we're already in day three, but sixth, sixth round, Kelvin Harmon, a uh, wide receiver out of NC State, Jimmy Moreland, cornerback out of James Madison, Jordan Brailford, outside linebacker, Ohio- Oklahoma State, excuse me. And um, so past your, your top two picks with, with Haskins and Sweat, where, you know, Redskins fan have to be overjoyed, number one. You didn't give up the farm to get Haskins. He fell into your lap. And then number two, you take advantage of what you call the hesitancy of other teams and pick up one of the highest rated prospects in the draft at 26. So how are we feeling about day two and beyond with the rest of your choices? Yeah, I think the Redskins, um, you know, they got good value with Haskins not having to trade up and then getting Montez sweat. And I think that theme of value really carried over into the rest of the draft. Um, uh, they only had one day two pick. They got Terry McLaurin uh, out of Ohio State. I think that's a guy you got good chemistry up front with Dwayne Haskins. And Brad Kelly uh, posted something on Twitter about uh, McLaurin during his pro day, said he's a elite technician at receiver that doubles as an elite athlete. So I think there's a lot of good potential there, you know, with the detail that he places in his game, but also the traits that he has and the ability that he has to maximize and get that separation. I think he could be a very good player. For the Redskins and getting them getting him in the third round, I think is excellent value, especially for a team that needs immediate contributors to that position. Uh, moving into round four uh, and on into day three, I thought generally uh, that theme carried over into day three as well. 
Uh, my favorite picks, Calvin Harmon and Jimmy Moreland. Calvin Harmon is a guy who um, I had a second-round grade on him. Uh, that might be a little high. I know his 4-6-40 is really slow. Uh, you know, having that top-end speed would help him in the NFL. But uh, he's an alpha dog, a receiver man. He can he can get those contested catches, win in those one-on-one situations. He, he's got very good play strength and pretty good nuance with his routes too. So I really like his ability. He's kind of a different type of receiver. Then McLaurin uh, get some different flavors in there, which could be good. Uh, also, like Jimmy Moreland, get this. Moreland, in his career, four-year career at James Madison, had 18 interceptions and 63 pass deflections. So he knows how to make wow. plays on the ball. Yeah, he, he he's good, and uh, he's been making waves already in OTAs and training camp. I think he has. He had three interceptions in one practice session one week. Uh, which the offense, of course, needs to kind of get their act together after that. But uh, it, it's also a testament to Moreland's closing speed on the ball and just his knack to really high point it and you know hone in on it and get that innate focus and heat of the moment. Not a lot of players can do that. Moreland looks like he has that, and he's got that alpha mentality for a, a slot corner mold, kind of small, but uh, good potential there, especially for a seventh-round pick. Also got Jordan Brailford. At edge rusher who's got good athletic traits uh some picks I, I didn't like as much Bryce Love um he's got potential for sure um he was a really really productive rusher in uh in college was a Heisman candidate in 2016 uh but or 20 I think it was 20 it was either 16 or 17 2017 yeah oh, cool cool I got the year wrong but um yeah yeah so at his best you know he he was a very explosive runner uh, but I didn't like his lack of utility as a receiver. You know, he never quite developed in that area and also tore his ACL, which uh, he is a running style that's predicated on explosiveness. So I'm not sure how he'll come back from that. So that'll be interesting. And the Redskins running back room is kind of crowded already. You got Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, uh, Chris Thompson, who's considered one of the better third down backs in the league. And Byron Marshall is a guy who Jay Gruden is really high on. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where he fits in there. Also, uh, Ross Pierschbacher, he, he's good depth, though, in the fifth round. So I was okay with him. Wes Martin, a potential starter at a left guard in round four. A very strong player. I hadn't heard much about him uh, when he was picked, but um, a very just he's got the power to be a force on the line and, um, you know, really could. You know, he's got tools that Bill Callahan can work with. You, you like your offensive lineman to have one of those tools to mold around, whether it's athleticism or strength or length. And uh, Martin definitely has the power to be a, uh, to be a very good piece. Um, and then Cole Holcomb uh, was their fifth rounder at linebacker. He's an athletic guy. I think uh, his pro day results were very impressive. He had like a 4-4. Eight, 40 yard dash and um, a 38 inch vertical. And he's a pretty well-built guy, you know, very stocky build. Um, so I think he's sturdy, but also has great athletic potential, uh, still kind of raw, but, uh, in round five, you know, that's what you're going for, right? You're going for developmental potential. I think the Redskins really stick stuck with that value theme. Love to me was a, was a bit of a luxury pick. Uh, they could have had better value at that position if they were going running back, could have gotten a guy in round seven, even undrafted. Uh, but, um, yeah, aside from that pick, you can't really harp on much. They really did what they set out to do, and that was strengthen the roster, add young talent with good upside, and uh, ultimately they might have reset their navigational path. You know, After Alex Smith was injured, we were talking about how long is it going to take for them to get back and rebuild. You know, They have all this money tied up, 
But the best way to build a team in the NFL is to draft well. And that's what the Redskins did in 2019. You know, there's no going around it. So exciting stuff for sure. Uh, of course, the puzzle is not solved yet, but um, moving in the right direction. Yeah, I can attest to the, to the drafting well thing. It's, it's something that the Bears failed to do for several years. There were a lot more misses than hits uh, in, their, in their draft classes. It's what cost our last two GMs their jobs. Jerry Angelo um, was let go in 2011. His replacement, uh, Phil Emery, was let on, only got three years, and he, they let him go after the, the 2014 season. Ryan Pace has been outstanding, especially on day three. We have gotten at least five or six guys on the team now that were day three picks. Tariq Cohen was a day three pick. Eddie Jackson was a day three. Um, Bilal Nichols last year was a day three pick, uh, and, and so on. So, I mean, those are just a few examples. And he's also been kicking ass in the undrafted free agency uh, pool as well. Bryce Callahan, who just got a big deal with the um, Broncos, was an undrafted guy. Cravon LeBlanc. Who, uh, who was let go but went to Philadelphia, has been a, a strong player. So those those day three picks and the undrafted guys, those are the ones that, uh, you know, like you said, you're, they're projects. You're hoping to get a hit on some of them, and I've watched the Bears do it, and I suffered in the NFC North when the Packers kept doing it year <laughs> in and year out. Because another thing that the Redskins were able to do was uh, collect a lot of picks. So you got 10 draft choices in the 2019 class, so and the majority of them were in day three. Seven out of the 10 were day three picks. So, you know, when you can when you can have three fifth or two fifth rounders, two seventh rounders, two fourth rounders, the the chance that one of them will hit, the probability goes up. So the chances that you that you get a guy that will be able to make the roster, like you're talking about um, Moreland, that corner out of, of James Madison. Yeah, he was a seventh round pick, but this is a guy, he's got a pedigree. James Madison, I don't know if you know, was the team that broke North Dakota State's national championship streak. <clears throat> a couple of years ago he was on that team so he knows what it takes to 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 win football games and apparently he is not allergic to the football when he's out there he's uh you know a lot of dbs play db because they can't catch the ball there you know you always hear that when when dbs drop the ball well that's why you play defense kind of thing apparently that's not a problem uh, for Jimmy Moreland. So, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. He's not allergic to the football. And you get these guys, <laughs> you know, um, in the later rounds, you know, in the early rounds, you know, guys are more complete. You know, that's that's what you're going for. You're going for that security. Right. But it doesn't mean that the later round picks are any less valuable. You know, In a sense, they are because they're less secure. But, you know, if you use them the right way, they can be so valuable to your team. Absolutely. And I'm a certified yeah. pick hoarder. Like I love maximizing your chances to get that young talent. And so I think if you can get those guys that have those traits that you can mold, it, it really bodes well for your roster. Of course, you know, that's not the end game. You you need the coaches to develop those guys and you need, yeah. you know, the support system with the leadership and, you know, uh, you don't want to rush them, but you get those guys with that potential. It can go a long way toward building a roster. So I really liked overall what they did, you know, getting all those picks and using them on the type of players that they did. You know, it's a, it's a model that's been successful before uh, with teams in the NFL. And so it's, it's a good one to follow. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when, when Ryan Pace took over as, as general manager, he had a press conference and, and that's where I really kind of was, was uh, sold on him. Cause there were other guys that, the Bears were interested in that I thought they should kind of go over. Shows what the hell I know, but still. <laughs> um, 
one thing that he said was that he did kind of want to model himself after the Packers, who were notorious for being very stingy in free agency, who were notorious for stacking up on draft picks and developing their own guys. The, the example that he used is like right now, at this point in the offseason, the Packers have, say, let's say 47 guys on their, on their active roster, and 46 of them have only ever played for the Green Bay Packers. The, the exception to the rule at that time in 2015, the only guy on the team that didn't play his entire career in Green Bay was Julius Peppers, who was a free agent after the Bears let him go. So that was the one guy on the team who played for the Packers that hadn't only always played for Green Bay. That's the thing that he envisions that, that he hopes that he, he can say about the Bears one day is that he's got a roster full of guys that have only ever been Bears. So if you can do that, if you can build a team through the draft while cherry-picking here and there to get a, a you know an impact player or a stud uh, in free agency, that's got to be the, the best way to succeed. Uh, in the NFL, that's got to be the the stencil, if you will, that you want to follow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's a number of you know intrinsic benefits that come from that. Whether it's the rookie contracts, you got flexibility if you want to add the finishing pieces in free agency. Uh, there's the youth aspect of it. Guys who are ascending, guys who are still waiting to meet their prime, and you know it could all peak at the right time. And then uh, there's also the um, stability of having all those guys in-house that you developed you know you don't have to bring a new guy in and rely on all these different pieces coming together you can kind of bring it along a little more organically and so yeah that's definitely that's the right way to do it it's more efficient it's uh you know gives you more flexibility and ultimately i think the redskins did a good job uh this year uh time will tell if it's sustainable but um on the right path for sure so as we look ahead to, to 2019, we take a look at what some of the major storylines might be. We've already talked about a couple of them. We talked about the, the, the impending quarterback battle. You think it's pretty much a done deal. It's Haskins' job to lose, but don't be surprised if Case Keenum is at least starting uh, week one. You have the Trent Williams thing. You have the injury thing, starting off with Reuben Foster on the first play uh, of OTAs. Is that something that's going to plague uh, the Redskins? One storyline that I would like to talk about is um, Jay Gruden. You know, they, they've, they've struggled. And, and looking at your schedule, this is not going to be the year that Jay Gruden wants to get off to a slow start. The first five games of the year, you have three division games, the Bears and the Patriots, in the first five games. You start at Philly, you're home for the Cowboys, home for the Bears on Monday night, at the Giants, and then you're home for the New England Patriots. Four playoff teams and the Giants in the first five games. This is not going – I mean, as daunting as that is, it's also the, the last thing that somebody like Jay Gruden would want to see if he gets off to another slow start. What could the – how quickly would the Redskins, if they would, pull the trigger on Gruden if, if things go sideways early on? It's tough, man. It's really tough to say, actually, because, you know, before Dwayne Haskins came into the picture – uh, it was like it was Case Keenum. You know, it looked like that this season was going to be a lame duck year for Gruden. It looked like he was as good as gone. Now you bring Haskins into the equation. You don't want to get rid of that continuity for a rookie quarterback. You know, you don't want to pull the rug out from under him after he's already entered the league. And I think, you know, there's a way that they could get rid of Gruden and still keep that continuity with Kevin O'Connell. Uh, if we had time to talk about him in a little bit, he's a he could be a rising offensive mind that the Redskins are waiting to kind of pounce on and keep him up, keep him locked up. But um, 
if Jay Gruden, if he connects himself and if he establishes himself, himself, uh, himself, I can't talk today, my guy. If he establishes <laughs> himself as a guy who is integral to Haskins' development, even if they don't do well in those first five games, they have to keep him because you're gonna that that could be that could have a detrimental effect toward Haskins, your rookie quarterback, who you invested a first round pick in. So a lot of intertwining factors. You know, before the draft, it was a little more simple. It's like, yeah, Gruden's probably going to lose. He's probably going to get fired. Yeah, whatever. Now it's like, even if he loses, is Haskins making progress? Is the offense showing signs of life? You know, because all of a sudden, this isn't a win now thing. Like, I'm sure they'd love to compete now, but they're looking past this year as well. You know, they're looking, okay, how can we maximize this window with Haskins? It's not all of a sudden I need to save my job. And, you know, Gruden's probably inside. He's thinking that. But there are ways that he can keep his job without winning necessarily. And I think in those first few games, the context is really going to be important, you know, as to whether Haskins is, um, you know, succeeding or not. I think if Gruden goes the way of, you know, I think he could go the way of Hugh Jackson. You know, we looked at Jackson. Um, He didn't start Baker Mayfield right away with Cleveland. And, uh, you know, the team was really not doing well, not showing a lot of consistency under Jackson. And uh, weren't playing to their talent level. They let him go, uh, put Freddie Kitchens in there, and uh, all of a sudden it was a match made in heaven. And I think Kevin O'Connell, uh, you look at him, he's a guy for the Redskins who um, he was recently promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, and he's he's one of those new wave offensive minds. Uh, he's made some comments kind of embracing analytics and play action and all those different ways to get an edge in the modern game, you know. You look at all these offensive minds that are getting jobs. Matt Nagy is one example. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Shanahan, you know, it, it's it's the new way to win in the NFL. You got to find those analytical advantages, and you got to try and you know find an edge where you, wherever you can. You can't really settle for the old ways, just ground and pound. O'Connell is one of those guys. Judging by some comments he's made in press conferences, and um, you know, if they really think the Redskins had a scare with Sean McVay, you know, this was <laughs> an up and coming guy. They let him go. He's in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, they get another young, up-and-coming guy in O'Connell. I don't think they're going to want to make the same mistake again. That's right. not to say that O'Connell is McVay, but it's just like it, it feels like deja vu for them. And I think if Gruden is not really uh, performing up to par uh, with Haskins, they could let him go early, cut the cord early, and just start the new era right away. You know, it might it might be a little – uh, iffy at first, you know, might kind of chip away at the foundation a little bit, but it's better to make that move sooner rather than later. So, but I think Gruden would have to be really bad for that to happen because, um, you know, Gruden has gotten off to a quick start with Haskins. Uh, from all accounts, things are going well. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, that first stretch is brutal. And I think if anything were to catalyze the release of Gruden and the next wave, you know, hiring Kevin O'Connell and getting him in that position. That would be it, because uh, you look at you look at that schedule: three division teams, no division team, no divisional game is a gimme in the NFC East, and then right. the Bears and the Patriots. You know, the Patriots every year they're tough. Uh, I, I don't expect a win there, and then of course the Bears, who should you know if if Trubisky can take the next step this year, if the defense can maintain the level that they were on last year, or even get even come close to that, then it'll be a tough out for the Redskins and. Uh, I think Jay Gruden will have his work cut out for them in that in that five game stretch for sure. Yeah, it's uh, when I when I was looking at the schedules, like that stuck out like a sore thumb, as well as the tail end 
uh, of the schedule. The last four games at Green Bay, and then three straight divisional games again. Philly, uh, home for Philly, home for the Giants at Dallas. So you got to start fast and you got to finish fast because those games all, like the first four games, you got three divisional games and the Bears, but that's all NFC. Those are all conference games that can all mean something at the end of the season. And then the last uh, three games with Philly, New York, and and Dallas, three more divisional games, that could very well be deciding who wins the division and, and who doesn't. Uh, at the end so you got to finish strong you got to start strong there's no easing your way into it with the rookie you got to hit the ground running if he's going to be your guy yeah exactly and that's that's where um they really have to decide what the purpose of this season is you know because you don't want to put you don't want to like get into the season you start winning a little bit all of a sudden you're putting all this pressure on a rookie quarterback like hey we can actually do something this year and then have it blow up in your faces that happened with in a sense that happened with rg3 where they were in the playoffs, he was doing really well, and then he blew out his knee. wasn't wasn't quite the same after that because they kept him in the game, and uh, you know it, it was very detrimental. You know, and obviously the same thing wouldn't happen with Haskins. They're different style players, but you know you, you don't want to put that pressure on a rookie quarterback uh, before he's ready. And I think Haskins will be ready for the most part. He's a pro ready guy, um, very mentally quick. Uh, so I, I'm I'm confident in that, but at the same time, if you're competing for something, you know you you got to make sure everyone's on board, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see because you have a clashing timelines in a sense where Haskins is a rookie quarterback, and no matter how pro ready he is, he's going to have a lot of learning curves to meet, and because um, quarterback is such a a position, it's a position with so much depth, you know, so yeah. much area to improve you can say a guy is mentally adept you know as a rookie prospect coming in but still even when he enters the nfl there's terminology he's got to get down you know there's play concepts he's got to get down you know stuff to look for keys on every different play so you know he's he's definitely got a lot of ground to make up no matter how ready he is and then on the flip side you have jay gruden who we're talking about if he wants to keep his job he might not have the uh, he might not have the opportunity to take that time. So it's very interesting to see how those two storylines meet. I'm I'm curious. I think, you know, I, I it's just a guess. I think Gruden will keep his job, but um, if it's very bad, if it's very bad in those first five games, we could see a change a change in the regime. And if that happens, then those last five games don't matter because they're not winning anything after firing their head coach midseason. You know, they're, they're just trying to establish that next era. And so we'll see what the main purpose of the 2019 season ends up being. But um, for now, it's, it's, pretty, it's up in the air. They've said they want to win now, but um, I don't know if that's in the cards exactly. So how important do you think the preseason is in establishing all that and finding out if, it's, if Haskins is ready yet or if it's going to be Keenum's job to – to lose or for him to hold on to the job until uh, Haskins is ready and, and that kind of thing. How, how important is the, the preseason? And is Jay Gruden one of those guys that plays his guys in the preseason? Because we as Bear fans learn the hard way, and Ram fans as well have learned Nagy and, and McVay like to save their guys. We barely saw our starters, even in the dress rehearsal game, they didn't play at all. Uh, last year so is Gruden the guy that's going to put his starters out there to get them ready for the season or is he going to save them in order to save them for the season uh he's usually a guy that likes to save his starters um I, I would say he, he does play if they're younger he'll play them to get them experience and exposure 
Uh, after last year, he might be even more conservative there, though, because Darius Geis tore his ACL um, in the first quarter, I think, against the Patriots in the preseason. Uh, so, And with all the injuries that the Redskins have, Gruden might play it super safe and just dial it back a ton and just be like, all right, dress rehearsal game, week three, that's all you're getting if you're a starter. So I don't know. He's generally been conservative with that, and you know we might see that dialed up even further this this uh, preseason. But uh, with Haskins getting in there, you know you want him to hit the ground running. You want to make sure his development stays moving quickly. Uh, so any preseason reps he gets are valuable, but at the same time, you don't want to stunt his development by uh, getting him injured, especially if Trent Williams isn't in there. That's another factor. You see, with the Redskins, there's so many different things working toward each situation. It's it's tough to say, but uh, yeah, I would say in the past, Gruden has been conservative uh, in terms of um, you know keeping starters on the uh, on the field. So we'll see, we'll see. But young players always need that experience. Uh, it's also good to sit on the bench and learn. So a good balance needs to be had. I think after the injuries, you know, all that stuff, and especially with Case Keenum as an insurance policy, I think they'll play it safe. But, yeah, we'll see. Right. So what are some of the other storylines that we need to be keeping our eyes on as we head into 2019? Okay. Well, I mentioned I mentioned Kevin O'Connell um, right. in, in the NFL. You need those offensive minds. You need to be up to date. And he's a guy, you know, the Redskins with Gruden. Gruden is – widely renowned as an offensive mind himself that was the whole reason he got hired but i think in recent years he's starting to become outdated uh last last year their winning style on offense with adrian peterson uh was not sustainable and they were running a lot at times they should have passed the ball you know they were leaving a lot of efficiency on the field i think kevin o'connell is the guy who can bring that back and that'll be big for them because they do have some talent on the offense some potential there uh, and coaching can go a long way toward unlocking that. You know, you can have very talented guys on offenses that are not well coached and they can get buried. And you can have guys who aren't necessarily the most talented, but they have a coach who can scheme them open and scheme them open in the right situations. And it, it changes the whole pr- complexion. So it's going to be interesting to see how Kevin O'Connell impacts that. And if he is what the Redskins think he is and if he is what, you know, he's being hyped up to be it could be a huge change for this team and it could put them in contention way earlier than expected so we'll see what happens there also jay gruden uh, as long as he's still the head coach he could be calling plays and he could be you know asserting his control there so we'll see but um there's some promise there so something to keep an eye on also the receiving core mentioned that but um there's a lot of guys with kind of untapped potential there and when people talk about the Redskins receiving core, uh, it's usually the worst in the NFL or one of the worst in the NFL, which I won't deny. You know, if you're going by proven talent, it's one of the worst in the NFL. But <laughs> there's some guys with potential um, that can't be overlooked. Um, we talked about McLaurin and Harmon, the two rookies. Those are two guys who really have different skill sets that could be effective early on. And McLaurin, he's got the chemistry with Haskins, was Haskins' favorite target in college. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, Trey Quinn in the slot, Mr. Irrelevant last year, one of my favorite picks from last year. He's a guy um, who's very, you know, we talk about nuance with route running a lot. He, he's good with those fine details at the stem to get open. And he's also a pretty, uh, a pretty tough, stocky guy. You know, he had some trouble with injuries last season, but when he has the opportunity to make those contested catches, his hands are sticky. 
And so I'm excited to see him. And they've kind of committed to him as the slot receiver. He only caught, I think, seven or nine passes last season. So he didn't he didn't get a lot of playing time. I think, yeah, nine passes and a touchdown. He didn't get a ton of playing time. Injuries hurt him. But um, Jay Gruden is committing to him early. And that says a lot about what he's shown in the offseason. So Trey Quinn is a guy to watch for sure. And there's some other guys too. Paul Richardson signed a lot of money. Uh, a 40 million deal, five year, 40 million deal last offseason. He's got a lot of speed. They're play- they're paying him to make an impact. Injuries have kind of hurt him as well, but um, he's a guy who could contribute too. So a lot of potential there. Um, and you also have uh, Josh Dotson, who's a, uh, a was a first round pick, and they did not pick up his fifth year option. So he's he's in a prove it year yeah. this year. And you never can count out those guys that are playing for their next contract we here at the at the bears can attest to that with with kyle fuller this was a guy going into the 2017 season yeah who we had written him off he was done he he had flashes as a rookie he kind of disappeared a bit in 2015 2016 he did not play a down he had arthroscopic knee surgery and did not play a snap vic fangio was publicly talking uh, talking down to him with the media like i don't think he wants to play you know that's first you know they have to tell the, the the doctor that he's ready then the player has to say he's ready and the player hasn't said he's ready he didn't play in 2016 there was there was rumors he wouldn't even make the team in 2017 he has that big blow up year and he's played like a stud uh, ever since so if josh Dotson, yeah in the league yeah absolutely so if you look at josh Dotson, you know you maybe you're you're thinking slash hoping that that the fact that his days in Washington are numbered because if he doesn't play this w- play well, why would the Redskins re-sign him? So he's literally playing for his future this year, and that can motivate guys in, in a way that uh, the security can't. Yeah, exactly. And I think Doxon is a guy who still has that athletic potential that hasn't really been tapped into yet. Now, uh, you got to think: has his development been st- stunted too much by injuries and bad coaching? Where? He, he simply can't make that leap in Washington. I don't know. Also, it's going to be interesting how they use him because uh, you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, he's an improve it year, but the Redskins have guys like Harmon and McLaurin, like I said, and Cam Sims is another guy who's been really flashing in OTAs. He was an undrafted free agent last year from Alabama who's really been making waves, and there's talk that he could be a starter for this team. And you look at, you look at Doxon, you know, he's a guy who his future is kind of the writing is on the wall. Uh, would the Redskins really want to invest their time in Doxon or a younger guy who might have a future with the team? I don't know. You know, me personally, I would like to put Doxon on the field. He's your best athlete, you know, and he's he's still got that potential. You know, you want to put your best players on the field, but um, that might not be how they see it. They might see it as, all right, get this year, you know try and get some money next year but uh you know for us for our team we have a different vision we'll see i would want to use dachshund you know i think he's got a ton of potential i would put i would try and put him in the slot they like to put him on the boundary but in the slot kind of cultivate that separation for him allow him to work in space he's got definite vertical ability 41 inch vertical you know he has some plays where he just rises above the entire defense you don't know how he got there his flashes are very bright I think he's a guy who could emerge, especially with a guy like Dwayne Haskins thrown to him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And these are the kind of circumstances where a guy like that can either emerge or get buried. And so it's going to be interesting to see. There's a lot of different players, a lot of different dynamics in that receiving core uh, where, uh, you know, a lot of different potential possibilities uh, could 
could materialize later in the season. So that's very exciting uh, to me because a lot of people kind of write off this receiving core, but there's so many different flavors. You know, you just look at it, you have no idea how it's going to play out. And I think Doxon is a guy who could either reap the benefits from all the un- uncertainty or ultimately be buried by it. And so that, that'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, you, you, you got to uh, – it's, it's when, when, you, when the pressure is on, how will the player – respond and it's uh there's you know it doesn't really get much bigger than you know either you perform or you're going to be looking for work elsewhere yeah next year and uh you know it's it's crazy how how that can affect uh, a player if he doesn't uh step up when his number gets called so uh you know will will they use him like you said or will they will they dedicate their time and say well we made the investment it didn't work out we'll we'll pay him his money and then send him on his way but we're gonna we're gonna develop McLaurin and Harmon and uh, and Sims and all the rest of those guys and guys that we know we can count on as opposed to this high priced rookie that's done nothing but cost us money. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. so how about on the on the uh, defensive side? Any position position battles, storylines coming out of the defense we want to keep an eye on? Um, well, if I haven't talked about the defensive line, I'll just touch on that real quick. It's a very talented group. Um, you have Ryan Kerrigan who is one of the more perennially perennially underrated players in the league. Um, And then you have Montez Sweat across from him. We talked about him in the draft breakdown earlier, but uh, Sweat is a great, a great uh, potential prospect. And then on the interior line, you got a really good combination of um, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis coached by Jim Tom Sula, as we said, and there that Tom Sula has worked wonders with them. You know, I don't know, I don't know what he's been doing. You know, he's a very energetic guy, but yeah, he, he's been exceeded even the wildest expectations. And that unit is really taking a life of its own and becoming one of the better defensive fronts in the entire league. Um, I think linebacking core. Some wait, wait, wait. Inter- Tom, Tom Sula, that's the former head coach of the 49ers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where it. he ended up. Yeah, the mustache. Okay. Working yeah, because one- I know that when when they hired him as head coach, they got him like a four year deal, and they fired him after one. I don't remember when exactly that was, but I figured he'd still be at home stealing money, right? Yeah, now. No. He, he he went out and got a job, huh? Yeah, yeah, he was nice. he was giddy with excitement, man. He's like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get back, get my working cap back on. And he's uh, I think he's in his niche with uh, a more specialized role on the defensive sure, sure. line, and uh, really, it's been crazy, man, the development because. Uh, for so many years, for almost two decades, uh, the Redskins' defensive line was like the Achilles' heel. Like it, they could not get anything done. You know, teams would run down their throat. They wouldn't get any interior pressure. Now they have Matt Ioannidis, who had a pass rush productivity rating on par with guys like Geno Atkins last season. They have mm-hmm. Deron Payne, a young first rounder who really made an impact last year. Was a brick wall and run defense. And Jonathan Allen, who's kind of a mix of the two. He can really pass rush pretty well, but also has the utility against the run. It's a, a very, very, very dynamic trio, and uh, they're all under 25 years old, so they're all ascending. So that's that's a very exciting position group. And behind them, they have Caleb Brantley, who was a, um, a potential early-round pick a couple years ago, an assault allegation, an assault charge, I think, pushing him back to the sixth round where the Browns picked him. But he's got athletic potential too. And then Tim Settle. Uh, Virginia Tech product who he's more of a nose tackle but he's got good athleticism for a nose tackle so it, it's a deep unit with very very good top end talent pro bowl potential talent maybe even all pro 
uh, for guys like Jonathan Allen and Payne down the line. But, you know, we'll see. That's way down the line. That's just total projections. Um, we'll see. The guys that will reap the benefits from that defensive front, the linebackers and the secondary, uh, it's a little less certain in those units. Uh, with Reuben Foster gone, Sean Dion Hamilton will look to fill in at linebacker. And he's he's a guy that has some potential. I wrote an article on him recently, actually just this morning. Um, you know, he showed a lot of good traits at Alabama. You know, he's got good sideline to sideline speed, very good instincts for a linebacker and pretty physical as well. Just a complete player. Maybe not as much athletic upside as Reuben Foster, but some um, a, a guy who could be a solid starter with the right opportunity. And he was a sixth round pick last year. Uh, the reason he fell that far was because he tore his ACL and broke his kneecap all on his right knee. So he's got some injury issues, some concerns there, but he stayed healthy thus far in his NFL career. So we'll see if it pans out. Uh, in the secondary, the Redskins have a lot of pieces coming together. A lot of guys who haven't quite proven themselves, but could you know they certainly have the traits josh norman still a solid corner you know i think his contract value kind of overshadows it because it's not a very good value in terms of a monetary standpoint but he's still a pretty good corner who can disrupt the disrupt the ball you know his he has the trademark peanut punch where he'll just knock it out forces the Mm -hmm. fumbles very good with that and he he, he's also got long arms he can uh deflect passes and stuff like that so he's He's still playing pretty well, um, not quite in his prime anymore, and he could fall off the cliff at any moment because I think the traditional cliff for a cornerback in the NFL is age 30. He's 32, so that's dangerous, But um, so you're playing with fire there. But they have some other good players at corner too, Quentin Dunbar. Uh, get this, Dunbar is a former undrafted wide receiver, uh, turned corner, and now he's a starter. And last year in seven games, he had two interceptions, nine pass deflections, uh, six foot two, very good speed and length. Um, and I, I think an, a diligent film room worker as well. You know, he's always talking about getting in the film room and working. And his improvement has been amazing over the past two years. Like, I- insane, man, to see a guy who came to the league as an undrafted wide receiver progressing so quickly as a corner. I think he's due for a breakout season. And then you got Fabian Moreau in the slot. He's a guy who um, has a great size and speed combination as well. So um, that's a unit, a lot of potential there. Hasn't quite been realized yet, but, you know, don't be surprised if they kind of impress a few people. And then in the secondary, in the safety uh, grouping, Landon Collins coming in as the uh, top paid safety. We talked about him earlier. And then Monte right. Nicholson, um, Michigan State product back in, uh, I think he was a 2017 fourth rounder uh, for the team in his rookie season. He really flashed. Uh, he showed a lot of good traits. He's got very impressive range, uh, four four speed, six two, very lanky frame. So he's uh, he's got the range to make plays sideline to sideline and flip his hips and uh, clamp up those deep routes. And uh, they had him as a single high guy a lot of the times in uh, 2017. They switched to um, two uh, two high safeties in or cover two, I think. Yeah, in uh, 2018, and uh, Nicholson kind of regressed a little bit. Had some legal issues, but those are all cleared up now, and uh, he's trying to bounce back. So we'll see if it happens. He's certainly got the uh, physical potential to be a really good complement to Landon Collins, because um, you know, in terms of their skill sets, Collins is very good in the box. Nicholson's that rangy guy, so they complement each other really well. It's just gonna can they put it together, and so uh, a lot of potential on that back end, but um, has yet to be realized, and it's gonna be interesting to see if it happens. 
Yeah, it's always uh, it's always tough when when you're going into a season and and you see what could be. Yeah. You know, you, you see what, what could be if we could only, if this happens, oh, man, I, I pray that this or I hope for that. And, uh, you know, sitting back and, and, and biting your nails, gritting your teeth, waiting for that to happen or waiting for something not to happen, like in the Redskins case with the injuries the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. You know, how many of our guys are actually going to make it to the end of the of the season or are we going to have a roster half filled with, uh, you know, replacements and off the street free agents and uh, things like that are are you know Kelvin Harmon and Jimmy Moreland going to be starters not because they earned it but because we got nobody else uh, kind of thing so I mean the Bears suffered through that uh, greatly through the John Fox era we couldn't keep guys on the field and we were you know the you know yeah, the, you couldn't make me do that if you paid me kind of thing well we were paying them and they still wouldn't make it on the field anyway that's how <laughs> bad it was so uh, you know the, the, it's one of those things where you see the potential what could happen you just got to you know sit there and wait for it to actually come to fruition is probably the hardest part about being a fan cuz you look at your team you you see the upside you see the potential there most fans anyway look at their teams with rose colored glasses and then you look at everything that's positive what could go right while thinking as little as humanly possible about what could definitely uh go wrong even if that's staring you right in the face so you know, you sit there and, and you hope that things bounce the way and, and you, you love to think and fantasize about what the potential could be if it all does finally bounce your way and things go right for the Redskins this year. Yeah, and you're talking to a Lions and Redskins fan. So I've, right. that's the, that, that is a – I have been – oh, my God. I can't even tell you the uh, the pain that I've gone through. But, no, it's it's, <laughs> it's fine. But, um, yeah, that's that's been the MO for the Redskins. They've always had potential. Can they put it together? And I'll tell people, you know, the, who will be getting excited, you know, I hate to be this Debbie Downer, but how often has it all come together? And right. you know, you got to say never. You know, the, the the pieces never all come together in your favor, you know. I I feel like they're due for a good year because, you know, the last two years, most injuries in the league, but um, you know, there's some factors that could hold them back, you know, Jay Gruden it, has he hit his ceiling as a coach? Greg Minuski, is he a good defensive coordinator, you know, who uses his personnel efficiently? I would uh, beg to disagree on that one. Um, Trent Williams, is he coming back? Because if he's not coming back, that offensive line, it's a major chunk. And then obviously on the defense, we just went over it, a lot of young guys with potential. But uh, can they realize that potential? And I'm, you know, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to bet as much as I'd like to think that they all will. I'm willing to bet that it won't all be, you know, uh, it won't all be uh, just good as new uh, come the end of the season. I think some guys are going to be uh, kind of filtered out, and um, we'll, we'll have to see. But you know, you you always love to look at the potential, like you said. Uh, yeah. It's just it's not always meant to be, though. Yeah, and 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 it's always it always seems to be the way that when when you're excited about potential, your team comes out and has this amazing off season. You as a Lions fan definitely understand that. Yes. How many times have the Lions been the champions of the preseason only to go three and thirteen or four and twelve? Or in that one year in two thousand eight, they went four and oh, five and oh in the preseason, went zero and sixteen uh, in the regular season. I mean, talk about really shooting the fans in the face. Was, uh, with with their hopes and dreams on that one. So I, I remember losing to the bottom feeder Rams. I remember watching us like I think the Rams did a fake field goal and got a wide open touchdown, and that was the moment I knew we'd hit rock bottom because the Rams were like two and fourteen at that point. We were 
like, we were getting we were getting fooled by them. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So I mean, that's 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 tough. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things when you when you have a team that that has uh, seen more struggles than 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 happy days, you you wonder you know, when will the string finally run out? Like yeah. as Bear fans, and and you've talked about it uh, with the injuries. It's like we can't just keep always getting hurt, right? It's got to stop at some point. I mean, even if we cut the injuries in half, we'll be in great shape. You know, that was one of the things about those teams with John Fox is that obviously we're not winning football games, but we lost half our roster to to injuries. Like, what could we have done if everybody, if we had most of those guys back healthy or we didn't lose this guy here and there and and, and so on? And, And you wonder what would the 2018 Redskins have done if Alex Smith hadn't gotten hurt uh, last year, do you draft Dwayne Haskins this year as a as a project quarterback or somebody to you know learn from a guy like Smith for a year or two before he, he takes over? Is that even in you know the the plans to to pick somebody for the future? Maybe you pick a guy in the fifth round as opposed to the first round for for quarterbacks to develop like a Kirk Cousins uh, type thing. Uh, I mean, how how different would things have been? Had they gone better for the Redskins last year, if six and three became ten and six instead of seven and nine, it, you you sit and you can drive yourself crazy thinking about these things too. Yeah, yeah, you can really you can go on and on. And injuries are very tough to predict. Uh, you know, it, 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 impossible to predict actually. Right. It, a lot of it is just like you know you can't really say like oh I think there's going to be a lot of injuries for this team. It's really just kind of. Uh, chaotic you know you really can't predict it because you know a lot of times it's like just taking the wrong step or an offensive lineman falling on your leg or something or just pushing too hard on a play Um, you know it's just it's very tough to kind of see how it would happen and the Redskins have just gotten unlucky and I think you know at, at some point maybe you can look at the training staff and be like maybe we can make some changes but you know, when it just keeps happening and you can't stop that with a training staff. And it's just, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it sucks because it, it takes some really good teams out of the equation. Like I know the Falcons a couple of years ago were a team, they were looking to get back to the playoffs and, you know, injuries decimated their roster. Deion Jones, Keanu Neal all going down. Uh, and the Redskins the past two seasons, Fans can look at it with their revisionist histories and say, you know, hey, if this hadn't happened, we could have done this. But at the end of the day, you just got to move forward. I think it was for the best, honestly, because uh, yeah. Alex Smith, as yeah. as good as he is, uh, serviceable, uh, commands respect, just uh, a really great leader. I don't think they were winning anything with him. Um, I, I don't personally, I don't. Um, I think he's a passer who's kind of peaked a little bit. But uh, again, a very respectable guy. Uh, but I don't know if they were winning anything with him. Uh, they might have gone ten and six, you know, had an appearance in the wild card uh, round. But um, I'm not sure he would have brought anything meaningful. At least with Dwayne Haskins, you have the potential to go farther, and you have the rookie contract window. Once Smith's contract gets off the books, you've got a ton of money where you can kind of go gangbusters in free agency and really capitalize and you know add to this to this home built roster and really put it all together. So they've kind of created a window for themselves it didn't happen in the best way you know for some players it was unfortunate in a lot of ways but um you know you make you make the most out of what you got and uh, that's that's all you can really say about it and injuries it's crazy how these injuries we talk about it's volatile every year but it can change the entire trajectory of a franchise and we've seen that with the redskins uh this year so 
very interesting very interesting very interesting stuff you you just hope that it doesn't happen again because then right. you know it puts another wrench in your plans and it's just you know you'd like to think you're due for a good year but you just can't tell you just can't tell yeah yeah it's uh it's one of those things you like you sit there and, and you you think it can go potentially and you know there's always that well it's the nfl and it happens every year there's always that team that comes from out of nowhere why can't it be us why couldn't it be us if we stay healthy we finally get a break here and there why couldn't we go 10 and 6 and make a make a playoff run or something uh like that it's not impossible it happens all the time so uh why couldn't it happen to the redskins we're in the nfc east where we haven't had a repeat champion since 2004 so somebody different keeps winning the division why couldn't it be our turn uh this year you know why couldn't the cowboys be the ones that have tons of injuries and you know suffer this year and it's us who take their place on top and uh and things like that so but uh you know as they say everything happens for a reason you guys went through what you had to go through to get to this point and get yourselves a guy like haskins and uh, and things like that just like we as bear fans would have loved not to go through mark tressman and john fox but it got us to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and Trubisky and Khalil Mack and, and those guys were, were yeah. on the precipice of a Super Bowl run if, we, if all the things go right for us this year. So it's like we went through what we had to go through. We're happy where we are now. And like the Redskins, they've gone through what they've gone through, and they're happy with what they're looking at. They just need a few breaks this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's the toughest part to be patient and let it all play out but it's it's a necessary factor you know you just you have to let it happen and uh we'll, we'll see what happens if the injuries come back or if the skins finally get a break and are able to carry on that development without any snags but um a lot left unsettled uh, for this team great potential great potential but ultimately uh, it's still gotta you still gotta put it out there and you still gotta you know put it into reality put it into existence and that's something that hasn't happened yet and uh, it, it's it, this has happened before where it's been a team with good potential it was a team with good potential last off season and yeah. they ended up seven and nine so you gotta you really gotta be careful not to jump the gun and I think um, you know this team has a lot of upside but um, even even if it doesn't happen this year maybe next year the year after that. Uh, but uh, you never can tell what's going to happen in the NFL. It's so unpredictable. So, Yeah, it's it's always fun to be a fan of that team where you can say something like, I wouldn't be surprised if we went 4-12, and 12, but also I wouldn't be surprised if we went 12-4. and four. Like the, the potential to go either way is there because of what we have on the roster, what we have in front of us with our schedule, you know, and the fact that the NFL does churn out at least two or three new playoff teams on each side of the fence every single uh, season so uh, it's it is definitely going to be interesting and, and I'm, I'm uh, curious to see how it all turns out uh, for the uh, Redskins so Ian we got you week three so we'll, we'll uh, it, it won't be too long before we get a chance to talk to you again hope to have you back to preview that Monday night game between those two teams see how those first two division games have gone for the Redskins you know has has Keenum been starting the whole way and and Haskins going to start that home game against the Bears or has did Haskins takes the job in preseason and how's the first few games gone we'll get those questions answered uh, uh, when we see you but uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime yes yeah, so my Twitter handle is at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine 
the regular Ian Cummings nine was taken, so I had to improvise a little <laughs> bit. But you can you can uh, look me up there. I'm usually usually tweeting about the Redskins, uh, just f- football in general too. You know, I follow all 32 teams, then the office. Um, so if you don't like the office, you can steer clear, but, uh, uh, it's a habit. It's a force of habit at this point. Got me through sure. sophomore year of college uh, a couple of years ago. So, uh, that's, that's fun. And then, um, Rigo's rag is just Rigo's rag. A lot of G's in there, uh, but it, it can be a tongue twister, but, uh, sure. it's a callback, callback to John Riggins, uh, the diesel back in the eighties. Yeah, you know it. So um, that, so that's fun. You can view our content there. We'll have a, we'll probably have some schedule predictions up soon uh, in the off season. I'd like to think, and uh, some maybe some hot takes about the Bears. You, you can check out my uh, power rankings too. I recently had those up. Uh, I won't tell you where I put the Bears. Um, you you can look for yourself. <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a spoiler spoiler warning. But um, I, I it's a team with good potential. I'll I'll, I'll play the flattery card a little bit here. So sure. All right. Well, Ian, thanks so much uh, for for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back in, uh, you know, to preview uh, week three, man. Thanks so much for, for hanging out. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Remember, guys, Bears 100 for your 50% sign-up bonus on mybookie.ag. And uh, ACAA is the promo code for $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. So there we go. Uh, Two down, two to go uh, with the NFC East. Up next, we got uh, Brandon Lee Gowden. And actually, he's an old friend. We've had him on the show a few times to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, We'll have him on uh, Tuesday. Uh, to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, we do talk about it. We 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 talk about it. We 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 pain over it. We get it out of the way, and we move on. And then after that, we'll move on to the Cowboys to wrap up the NFC East, which will lead us right into the NFC North. And our beloved Chicago Bears will be the fourth and final. And this time, for the first time, we won't be out of sequence when we do it. Because every year that we've done the uh, the opponent previews with, with guests, every single year that we were doing it, the Bears should have been the first show in the NFC North because we go worst to first. And this time, when we get to the Bears last, that's actually where they belong because they were the champs last year. How awesome is that? So all of our old friends will be back. Jeremy Reisman, Chris Gates, um, Evan Western from our various SB Nation uh, representatives will be here to, to help preview uh, those teams and of course Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears and Pro Football Focus will be here to help us wrap up and uh, pre- uh, preview our 2019 beloved Chicago Bears so it's getting close it is uh, it's it's I'm really having a great time with all of these and uh, I love doing this uh, this part uh, of the show this is the worst time of year as a football fan but for me as a podcaster it's my absolute favorite so i absolutely love this been having a blast uh, doing these interviews so uh come back on tuesday brandon lee gowton from bleeding green nation for the philadelphia eagles will be our next guest before we wrap it up with the cowboys so we'll see you on tuesday until then my name is larry d and this has been bears talk underground